Hey friend, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you so much for joining us once again today. I'm looking forward to what God has for us as we wrap up and truly actually begin to work out in mind into this theme that we've been discussing from the book of John chapter 21. Without further ado, would you mind turning there with me? John chapter 21, we've talked about from this particular passage that this is one of the last appearances of Jesus Christ in human form in the Gospels. We see that in verse number one. In verse number two of John 21, we see the limited attendance. There are only a few of the disciples, seven to be precise, that are present for this particular miracle and this occurrence. We see a lacking attitude. What led these characters of the Bible, of this story, of this account to this place? Well, Peter said, I go a fishing, and all the rest said, we're coming with you. But then we see a losing attempt in verse number three as well. Begin with me in John 21 and verse number one, the Bible says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. That's the lacking attitude. Instead of uh, focusing in on what God had for them, they decided to go fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing, a losing effort. When you're outside of God's will, God seldom will bless that activity. But then in verse 4, the light arises and illuminates the Lord's arrival. Verse number 4, But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. I'm so thankful for his loving attention, even in the insignificance of that which they were working on. He still showed the leader's authority, limitless ability. And finally, in verse number 7, the logical acknowledgement, John finally recognizes Jesus. We see the tail end of verse 6, they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes and the logical acknowledgement we just mentioned, verse 7, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. For the remainder of our time today and tomorrow as we conclude this week, I have a question for you. How did they know him? How did they know him? And better yet, do you know him? We asked, was his presence evident yesterday? And that's where we began. We talked about the presence of Jesus throughout the Bible. We looked at the Old Testament, but could I direct you to John chapter 11 for just a moment? We're going to look at his presence in the New Testament. Remember John eleven twenty one. then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. What happened? Lazarus, Martha's brother, passed away and Martha is telling Jesus, 
with a little bit of faith that if you had been here, Lord, I know he would not be dead. But guess what? Jesus did show up. Let me tell you, when Jesus is present, when Jesus shows up, in verse 21 of John 11, the women suggest that he should have arrived sooner. In verses 23 to 27, he speaks, and it doesn't always make sense to us. John 11, 23, Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Verse 24, Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But verse 25, he always sets the record straight. Verse 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? In verse 35, the shortest verse in the scriptures, sometimes he sheds a tear. In verse 39, the people say that dead man stinks. Verse 41, he disturbs the stillness of the cemetery. After all that hullabaloo and rigmarole, after all the talking and crying and carrying on, we see what the presence of Jesus does when Jesus shows up in verse 44. Dead men stand up and see the light one more time. The sick don't have to suffer anymore, and sinners rise to see the Savior. Now, here's the deal, friend. That's all well and good, and I'd love to see and remind you of the power of the presence of the Lord, but let's recall that Back in John chapter 21, it was not the presence of the Lord that prompted their recollection, that prompted their remembrance, that made them realize who they were talking to. You see, his presence wasn't evidence enough. So what was it? Look back at John chapter 21 for just a moment. If his posture wasn't evident enough for them to realize who they were talking to, who was talking to them, did his posture expose him. Verse 4, the Bible says, Jesus stood. I made a study the last few days and weeks of the various postures of Jesus. We can probably correctly surmise that the disciples were intimately acquainted with the postures of Jesus. They'd been his close companions for over three years at this point, plenty of time to know what he looked like from a distance. Now, before we look at the standing Jesus we find in this passage, allow me, if you would, to acquaint you with a few other positions that Jesus habitually took. You see, friend, the postures of Jesus include the sleeping Jesus. We, we now remember the little sleeping baby so tenderly wrapped in swaddling clothes, and for time's sake, we won't belabor that point except to say that the sleeping Jesus makes it easy for, to forget why he took up temporary residence in that manger. He came to redeem us from sin, restore us so sweetly, reclaim us for salvation, reinstate, reinstate us from his position of sovereignty, retrieve us from the swine pen, ransom us from Satan, and it's about time we remember his sacrifice. His posture of sleep wasn't just the sleep of the young Christ child. Remember, he slept on a boat in Mark 4 and Luke 8. He slept because his humanity was tired, and I'm so glad that we have a God that was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. It reminds me of the song, How My Heart Does Rejoice, when I hear his sweet voice. In the tempest to him I can cling. I can lean on 
on his arm, safe, secure from all harm, when he reached down his hand for me. But friend, I'm so glad that not only did his hand reach down, but he came down some 2,000 years ago, and in his humanity, he slept the sleep of the tired. But Jesus' posture was rarely one of sleep. More often, he was seated. Now, we don't have the time to explore every instance of Jesus being seated, but I'd like to remind you very quickly of one, two, three occasions that the Bible reminds us of his seated posture. It's likely that Jesus, like those precious pictures portray, often had children on his lap as he expounded and preached his parables, but we know for a fact that Jesus was seated in John chapter 4 because he was waiting. He was sitting at the whale. John 4 verse 3, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he, the Bible says, must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary, as we just mentioned, his humanity could still get weary, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. I'm so glad that over 20 years ago, as a little boy at the Monterey Bay Baptist Church, even though I hadn't yet sinned in the same ways that this woman at the well had, Jesus was still sitting there waiting on me. On that Wednesday evening, as the man of God broke the fresh bread of heaven and preached his heart out and dropped a bucket into the water of life, my heart was stirred, my age was tender, my maturity not yet fully developed, but I know that God Almighty was sitting there softly and tenderly waiting on me. He wouldn't coerce me or twist my arm to take me to heaven. I had to choose. As a little boy, I came to that well, figuratively speaking, and drank deeply of the water of life. And friend, I've never thirsted again. I'm so glad Jesus was sitting there waiting for me. Let me tell you parenthetically, if you don't know him, if you've never realized that he is right now sitting next to you saying, come, then today is the day, this hour is the hour, this may well be your last opportunity, friend. He is still sitting by the well, but he isn't just seated at the well, he's seated at the right hand of the throne. If you'll allow me, and I so greatly appreciate your attentiveness and alertness and listening this morning, afternoon, or evening, regardless of when you hear this broadcast, let me tell you about one more place my Lord is sitting down. At this very moment, he he, Jesus Christ, is seated at the right hand of the throne. The Bible says in Romans 8.34, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. That sentiment is repeated in Ephesians 1.20, Colossians 3.1, Hebrews 8.1, Hebrews 10.12, and 1 Peter 3.22. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You can attempt to brush off the power of the seated figure of Christ, but friend, I'd be careful to give him his due, because Jesus wasn't always sleeping. He wasn't always seated. There were times that he was stooped or bent. That stooping Jesus, even if we just stay in the book of John, we find ample examples. John chapter 8, he was stooping to defend a woman taken in adultery. John 9, he was stooping down to gather the dirt to make the clay to heal the blind man's eyes. In John chapter 13, he was stooping to wash the disciples' feet. 
In John chapter 19, he was stooping under the weight of the cross. The first time our king stooped as a man, he saved a woman taken in adultery from a brutal death of stoning. And the last time he stooped, he carried the weight of my sin and your sin and our sins, along with the weight of that cross on that cruel mount, up that cruel mount to die. With his finger in the sand, he saved that woman. And with his blood spilt on Mount Calvary, he saved mankind. Now, tomorrow, we are going to, we've already observed, the sleeping, the seated, the stooping postures of Jesus. Tomorrow, we get to see the standing Jesus, and we ask afresh the question, was his presence evidence enough? I don't believe so. Did his posture expose him the question before us is, how did they know him? And furthermore, as we apply it to your life and mine, do you know him? My friend, if you don't know him, would you listen to the announcer as he comes on in just a few moments and explains to you how you can reach out to us? I'd love to take the Bible, one of our staff members, to take the Bible and show you how you can come to know the Savior. Please join us for the final day of this week of broadcasts tomorrow. Have a great day for His glory. Thank you so very much for listening, and God bless. Thank you for joining us today for Bible Tract Echoes, a ministry of Bible Tracks Incorporated. If you would like to receive a free sample packet of all of our tracks, you can contact us by calling 309 309- 828-6888. That's 309-828-6888. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 188, Bloomington, Illinois, 61702. A faster way to contact us is to go to our website at BibleTracksInc.org. That's BibleTracksInc.org. There you will find more information about our ministry and details on how you can support Bible Tracks Incorporated. Thanks for listening, and may the Lord richly bless you as you serve Him.